Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA kit by Endocana Health. If you take pride in your canna nerdiness or are just canna curious, this kit empowers you to find more about the best cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the Endo DNA Collection Kit, Endo Decoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, and Endo Align products matching in your state. There will also be suggested dosage guidelines and optimum methods for inhalation or usage. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a buy one, get one offer on their Afika Soft Gel lineup. And since I know that many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afika Unwind, created to support health sleep cycles using patented proprietary formulations of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are in your future. Buy one for yourself and get one for a friend at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at the checkout for 25% off your DNA test kit. I don't want anybody else to have to, to deal with this. Maybe it's the Jew in me that I want to fix the world, tikkun olam and all that, oh, yes. but it's just my calling. Uh, always been to see what needed to be fixed, go in there and fix it. This is the Cannamom Show, a podcast chronicling the inspiring stories of real women in the emerging cannabis industry. Your host, Joyce Gerber, mom, lawyer, political activist, has been speaking with women from coast to coast and around the world who are leaders in the revolution of cannabis and caregiving, continuing on her mission to lift up the stories of the women creating the cannabis industry by sharing their canna stories with you. So go make yourself a cup of tea or roll yourself a joint, sit back and learn something new about this magical plant on The Cannamom Show with Joyce Gerber. From the Tip O'Neill Studios in North Cambridge, Massachusetts, it's the Cannamom Show. Now here's your host, Joyce Gerber. Thanks for joining us again so we can talk about care for and give voice to women in the emerging cannabis industry, one can of story at a time. All right, Dave, it is happening. We have launched the Keep the Cannamom Conversation Going campaign. All right. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> All this month, listeners, all this month, you can support the dream of season four of the Cannamom Show so we can continue on our mission of enhancing the impact women have on this new industry by sharing and preserving their stories. And of course, we can crush the stigma around cannabis and caregivers together. So we are excited. And then check out this beautiful scarf. Dave, I know, again, we're audio only, but it is a uh, reproduction of the amazing Technicolor Cannabis Quilt on a silk scarf. So cool. Lovely. (laughs) Never gets old. Never get old. Never get old. Never gets old. (laughs) Anyway, so this scarf could be yours. It's part of the crowdfunding reward system. You can go look on my um, website, a crowdfunding link up there. You can check out my little video and all the things that we have been doing over the year and um, how you can help support so we can continue on. Very cool. That's uh, cannamomshow.com, and it's all in the show notes, of course, right? All in the show notes, and uh, yeah, it's all there, and I know you can't see it again, but 
I got a giant poster of me behind me for the mm-hmm. card and cannabis. So cool. So cool. Book. Oh, by the way, it's the cannamomshow.com. Don't. It's always the cannamom show. Yes, yeah. Well, I have noticed it comes up quite a bit. I, uh, the cannamom show's out there. It's, it's floating it around. In the, it's very, it's very searchable. That's why it was a great name for the podcast. And still, it, is, very, it yeah. is. And still a good name. All right. And then today we do have a special guest with us today. Tia Moskalenko. She is, she's spoken to us before from Ask Growers. She's a special segment guest a while ago, but she's actually in Ukraine. Oh, wow. I know. So we just know we're going to bring her back on and have her share her story because it's all different perspectives. And yeah, I just can't imagine. So we're going to find out soon. Mm. Yeah. She looks like she's doing okay, but I can't wait to hear the stories. It's going to be, yeah. <laughs> she just wanted to go right into work, but no, we want to talk about you, Tia. And right. then before we begin, I just want to thank Northern Specialty Health Provisioning Center for your support. And it is just a really long name for a dispensary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How's it fit on the sign? I don't think it does. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Michelle DePaul's the expert. I'm going to ask her about that. All right. So we are ready for today's guest. Today, today we're speaking with a Massachusetts cannabis advocate who moved to our state to support her daughter's health needs. She is also a fellow Canna Jew and someone I like to hang out with on Clubhouse. She's here today to share her Canna mom story, her Canna policy insight, and why it's so cool to be a Canna Jew. Please welcome to the Canna mom show. Michelle Herman. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, Joyce. It's so weird to see you and not not just be talking to you at eight in the morning on Khadija's show. I know, not just to have you in my head, but actually to see your face. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We don't even live that far apart. All right. So let's just... um, Let's just jump right in. So you are in Massachusetts and yes. you're a mom and you've described yourself as a cannabis refugee. I've heard you say that. So yes. can you share a little bit about your story and you know how you got to Massachusetts and your daughter's health concerns, I guess? So uh, my daughter was born in April 2014 and about a week and a half before she was born, I had this feeling that we should do another ultrasound, an an extra ultrasound to see what where where she was going with the pregnancy because I had had my son at 37 weeks and he was seven pounds. So there was no issues. So I wanted to have that extra ultrasound to make sure what we were looking at with the lungs. And what they found was that there were thickened ventricles of the brain. And I was told that that no big deal, we'll just do a, a surgery when she's born. It can be handled. It's hydrocephalus. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a second. I'm, I'm not ready for that. And so I started doing my research, found out that Benjamin, Dr. Benjamin Worf at Children's Hospital was the expert in doing that kind of surgery, not using a stent. So I went right away. We, I got through to him. I, I, I even got into his cell phone somehow where I was like, hi, can I speak to Ben? And they put me through right away because they thought I was a friend. And by that was on Sunday. By Tuesday, we were in his office. I remember Monday night was our last normal day. We went and saw the Book of Mormon and it was amazing. So that, that next day we went and all the doctors came in, said, I have good news. It's not hydrocephalus. All the doctors walked out. And this is after like a week of testing and different MRIs and all different kinds of things. And then another team came in and they said, so she has periventricular nodule heterotopia, package subcortical band heterotopia, blah, 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 blah. And basically told me that it wasn't a viable pregnancy and gave wow. me the gave me the advice later on a nurse came in slid me a card and said you have options and it was a late-term abortionist in Colorado that was not an option how many how (laughs) many weeks were you pregnant at that point Michelle 
I was 35 weeks at this oh, point. Oh, you were very pregnant. Wow. Very, very, very pregnant. I had done all the, all the tests. I did the free-floating DNA test because I was an older mother and I'm an Ashkenazi Jew. So we did all of those genetic tests. We did, we, at 10 weeks, I even knew that she was a girl. I knew that she didn't have any of the trisonomy. I can't pronounce that word. Didn't have any of the issues, any of the points that we were looking for, for uh, all, all the different things like Down syndrome and things like that. And so we were quite shocked when they told us this. And just so I don't, I don't actually know what that is. So what does that actually mean with all those big crazy medical so, words that they were spewing at you? Yeah, I didn't either. And ne- neither do a lot of doctors either in Florida, I'll tell you that. So it basically means that her, when she was developing, it's a genetic thing that happened with her. She was nouveau, which means that it, she was the first person in the family to, to have it show up. It's not hereditary, but it is genetic. And it means that her brain is just not formed properly. Her brain has a few things wrong with it. One, it has like a band of gray matter, heterotopia, gray matter where there shouldn't be. Heterotopia means that it's gone from one to another where it's not supposed to be there. So there's gray matter in the white matter of the brain. The brain is not formed. It's it's not bumpy. It's smooth. So I, I looked up, what, is this, what does this look like? I wanted, what does a seizure look like? What am I dealing with? Because we were told that at the very least that we, this is after she was born, the very least that we would have to deal with was to have autism and seizures. And I'm like, okay, I can deal with that. But I wanted to know what that looked like. And so I did a search on the internet and I, I found both Charlotte and Cindy May's videos up in, up in Maine where they were given CBD and it stopped the seizure immediately within a few seconds. And I was blown away with it by that. And Oh, so, kept... wait, so just kind of backing up. So you're in Florida. Sorry. So, and yes, I know I'm there's like Florida. a lot. So you were in Florida. So that so when your child, when your daughter was born, what did they tell you you were supposed to do? And how did you know that there was another? How did you even? I mean, you still looked up the internet, but like, had you met anybody who was using this for seizures in real for real life? No, no, not at all. So. When, when she was born, we were, we were given the, the, we were given the directions of take her home and love her as long as you can. We were not, they were, they, she didn't, they didn't expect her to live. There was about 20 doctors that came into the, to, I had a C-section because I had preeclampsia. There were about 20 doctors in there ready. And the people were telling me, get ready that you, you may not be able to feed her. She may not have a suck. You want to think about palliative care. And I'm just in shock with all of this. It was all very jarring. And we didn't have any kind of early intervention or anything, any, any kind of social work help. So I started looking up stuff, you know, and you had another child and you had, I had had a one and a half. He, so he was, he was one and a half. Yeah. Okay. All right. A little, okay. You have a little one and you have a baby with some very severe health issues. Okay. And I myself was suffering from, so I have a degenerative disc disease and EDS. So I had cervical fusion C4 to C6 between the two pregnancies in the year between. So I was also suffering having the the, the C-section and it was a, it was a difficult C-section with a lot of, a lot of complications afterwards. And so I was given, I was put back on all of these opioids, which I had taken before I was pregnant after I had the surgery for the fusion. And it was really, really, really hard getting off of them. And honestly, the only thing that kind of jarred me out of it was the fact that I need to have a baby and I can't be on this medicine. But when I moved, so when we, when we moved to Massachusetts right, later so, on, I, so you have your own health issues. Did you have any, like, I so have my own health issues. But did you have any, well, so what was your relationship with cannabis at this point? 
Like what did you want? My relationship with cannabis. So, I mean, I've been smoking since college. I had my first Gainesville green uh, bong hit in <laughs> university of Florida, <laughs> Gator Girl 1991. It's, I, I, it's just something I, I was, I went to University of Florida in the 90s and it was a very big time of the date rape drug or rip and all and all of that. And so I was always very aware of not losing control, not being in a situation where somebody's going to rape me because that was something that smart, I was terrified girl, of. Smart, Michelle. Um, <laughs> And it was a lot easier being stoned. Why yeah. I go downstairs and drink the hunch punch downstairs where you don't know what the hell's in it when you can be upstairs with the boys smoking bongs and showing them, oh, well, I have free. So it was. So, but did you, did, did you think of it as, I mean, you thought of it as fun. Did you think of it as medicine? I thought of it before? as fun. I didn't think of it as medicine until I was living in Israel. I lived in Israel from 94 to 09 and I noticed that when I would go off certain certain medications for psychiatric reasons, for like mood stabilizers or antidepressants, I would find that I would do better when I was on the cannabis and not on the pills or certain pills would work with certain cannabis. And so, yeah, I started I started learning so, that it was a medicine. Oh, then, I, I forgot I about the Israel part. Yeah. All right. So you've had mm-hmm. a lot. So you had so you saw the Israeli influence of it like what it is you were actually on the pharmaceuticals which is almost a universal story I hear of women in this industry and then you had a child who was very ill and you came to this realization that you could actually use a cannabis drive products to help her and what was your doctor's reactions in Florida in Florida I was told that it's not an option that she does not she would not be able to do the the epidiolic study and I'm like well I'm not looking to do the epidiolic study I'm like can we even talk about anything else no we can't talk about that Nope, nope, don't talk about that. So okay. it okay. wasn't so an you, option. And, and so I you knew that. So this was after Massachusetts was legal. So you decided, did you know people in Massachusetts? Like, why did you decide to come here and not Denver? So I did. I did know, I did know a few families in Massachusetts that a few of them were also refugee families like I was, not for cannabis per se, but medical refugees to try to get better, better health care, better early intervention for their kids. And they told me how wonderful it was up here and how you find a town and the town can help support you with your kid to find the right placement. So I thought all of that was great. All right. So you come up to Massachusetts. What year did you come up here? We came up in summer of 2015. Okay. So before adult use, but we had medical. So how was your, so what happened when you came here? Like when you came into here and you're looking for, specifically looking for a doctor who would work with you or did you know somebody already or what was your process? Well, I knew... so I, I first I wanted to learn as much as I can and I wanted to be part of like the community and I started going to Dr. Uma's meetings and I started I went to the Boston Freedom Rally and I started going to NECAN and I just wanted to try to learn as much as I can because the more I learned the more I realized how much I didn't know. Yeah, and- we're all there. <laughs> and if and I wanted to try to I had in this my head that I was going to find the perfect strain and find the perfect way to give it to her and and that I was going to be able to do this all on my own and that just for somebody who just grew up in the 90s smoking kind bud and crippies and stuff that wasn't going to happen so were you giving her tinctures were you giving her anything at this point what were you trying to at this point we were giving we weren't doing anything I was so afraid of horror stories that I had heard from other families from DCF possibilities of if you if you do the wrong thing and get caught with it that maybe you won't ever get a card I mean some of them were true some of them were not it, it just there was a lot of stigma to I mean, this, it this and is the can- this is the can of mom story in a bundle I mean so how 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 was your daughter's health at this point how was she functioning 
So she was functioning. When we got here, she was a little over a year old and she still hadn't started to crawl. And she was doing better with lifting her head. She was able to sit up and things like that. Within, I would say, a few months of being here and we started having like around the clock OTPT speech, ABA. I mean, it was crazy the amount of therapists that we had coming into my house. Really from the first week of signing up, which I I didn't think it would happen so fast because in Florida, you just sit for years on waiting lists. She started crawling. I mean, that was wow. the fact that she could move because she was, she's a big baby, you know, and she, to, to not have her move anywhere and to have to take her every place. It was, it was very hard. It was hard physically on me. It, yeah. it was, it was hard. Oh my, that's, I just, that's like a whole nother story. Cause my daughter had early intervention for other things, but it was very, I will say Massachusetts ladies, zero to three. There's a lot of resources. I, I mean, and again, if that's where our country put their resources instead of in prisons, Lordy Lord, but that a state like Florida doesn't have that quick. I think I just take There's it nothing. Granted. Yeah, I just nothing. take it for granted nothing. that it's like if I needed it from zero to three, it was really accessible. I think that's that's a whole nother state policy issue. But OK, so your daughter's here. You're getting actual services, services, but you're trying to incorporate some kind of cannabinoid therapy. So what happens next? So at this point, I, I started getting involved more. So I, I got into ASA and I go to DC and I find myself sitting next to Ethan Russo, Dr. Ethan Russo and Ethan Russo, sorry. Yeah. And he, t- he basically tells me that like, have I, he asked me if I've tried Zoe on CBD yet. And I'm like, no, cause I don't have a card. And he's like, wait a minute, you're an advocate. You're in Washington. You're, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> you're the, you... So that made me think. And so uh, when we went home, I went and I, I already knew what CBD I wanted. I wanted Palmetto's Harmony because the do- the girl Harmony, she also has a very similar thing of what my daughter has. So I wanted to make sure that we were on the same level, at least with that, because they have similar issues. And it was, it was very, it worked. It worked very well. It kept the seizures away. And we saw within about a month of her taking it, I saw her go from one word at a time. She would like point and say a word and do a little sign with it. I saw her actually saying things like she would put things two, three, four words together. And now, I mean, God, I think the last thing I got her was 19 words. (laughs) She just like put together this whole thing. So, okay. So she's, so you're telling your doctors, the doctors in Massachusetts, are they open? And this is CBD. This isn't even any THC products, right? Right. This yeah. is CBD. This is CBD. And so at this point, I was not really talking. To, I, I was talking to her neurologist because her neurologist knew about it. And that was it. Yeah. And so I know you had, <laughs> I a, good, you had a good you had a good Boston neurologist. How did you find that person? And how did that, is it a man or a woman, the Boston neurologist? Uh, we see Dr. Gatanis. Um, okay. He's amazing. He's out of Tufts. Unfortunately, Tufts is going to be closing the children's part of the hospital. So we're not quite sure where he's going, but we're hoping that he's going to stay local. Please, please, please. Because there's a lot of families counting on him. He does what no other doctor I've ever, ever found can do. He makes you feel, even if there's a waiting room full of people, which aren't, crazily, there's not even that many. He does such a good job. He he makes every patient feel like he has you. He is there just for you. And he has all the time in the world for you. He, he You're able to talk openly about cannabis. I mean, it, it was, I'll, I'll tell you when we keep talking about one of the appointments we had with him where he was teaching like his students about the differences between whole plant and isolates. And it was just amazing to see something like that and using our daughter and look, see, she had a breakthrough seizure, but you know, no, this is why we don't want her on the isolates. That was just wonderful. To hear. So did he have a learning curve? Was this somebody who came into it understanding it or did you have to teach him? How did he know about what No, he, he already, so he, he was actually one of the keynote speakers at Can, at Canamed at the first okay. Canamed. 
he's very knowledgeable. Uh, he's, he's, he's in, he's in it. Okay. <laughs> Most he's... of the kids that you'll see in Massachusetts are that are cannabis patients are his patient as well. If they're neuro. Okay. So you're working and I, you have more of this story. I, I, the, the daughter story is just part of her story. So, okay. So you're in Boston, you found the CBD products you're working with her. And then how old is she now? Seven? How old? How old? She's five. Oh, five. Okay. Five. And, all right. So you come to Boston when she's about one and then sort of what was the journey? Did you start incorporating different kinds of products? Did she, did you increase the dosage? Like were you working? How did, did you have other doctors who are connected with this? How does that working now with her? So yes, we, now she has her card, her medical card. She's okay. had it for a year now. So we, we talk with her doctors. We talk with Dr. Eric Ruby. We talked to her with Benjamin Kaplan, who we also see all the time on Clubhouse right. and both of them have been, and, and as well as who formulates. So Julie Mejia from Holistic Kept Solutions, I teamed up with her and she formulates Zoe's Medicine. And we've now, we're, we're, we're going to be coming out with some new stuff pretty soon, making What's some big announcements. We're going to come up to that. All right. So your daughter is doing okay. Is she in school yet? Is she doing any kind of- She is. She is. So how, how does that work with the medicating her in school? So that's a challenge. That's a big challenge, especially now since she has had a first recorded seizure where before we weren't getting them recorded, we were seeing signs in the e- in the EEGs that there was issues, but we, we weren't seeing an actual seizure. But now she has had a grand mal. It happened a few weeks ago, and it definitely was because it was time to titrate up, which we did. She's doing much better. Remind me, I'm sorry, I lost my- Oh, I'm just like at school. I mean, I know that school- this is Oh, she's at school. school. So this is, a, this is a major issue. This is so Amendment 33 that is in Senate Bill 2801, I believe is the number, 2081, I believe is the number, the one that's going now to the House. It's going to be talked about at the Ways and Means first, and then it'll hopefully get to the House floor. So it actually addresses that because people cannot get in public housing, in, in residential schools, in anything that's federally funded, you cannot in hospitals, you you cannot get access to your medicine, even if it's your doctor gave you this medicine. It, it's not allowed. It's, it's Schedule One, not allowed. There's absolutely no ifs, ands, or buts. But there's an amendment in there that's that's part of the social equity bill that is going to allow public housing, that is going to federal housing, that will allow for pediatrics to be able to access in school. I hope that they'll use that as because <laughs> we've talked about it. I did. I, I hope that some of my influence did help make that amendment because I did bring to them some some stories of some families that were having that exact trouble. I would love to have a THC rescue spray instead of having a diazostat. Well, that's career, interesting. You know? right, so I, did, I did want to get into cannabis policy. So you've been really active with the Massachusetts. Again, this is the most state specific, local specific kind of experience we're all having because it is illegal at the federal level. So you have to be I mean, maybe it's good for us. You have to be active at the very local level. So you've been doing a lot. I know you're very focused on the pediatric cannabis access for the medical program. So can you just, again, you talked a little bit about it, but it's your influence. How else are people working to influence their representatives, state senators, and how are they open to this? Are they listening to people, the advocates? They are. They are. It's just, unfortunately, there's been so much noise from so many of not only people who are prohibitionists, but also some of our allies or people that we thought were our allies that uh, honestly... I, 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 my question, I always got to ask them why, what made you come to cannabis? What brought you to cannabis? And if it was to make money, you're not working with me. I'm sorry. And because 
I haven't seen a dime. I've spent more money on getting to where I am with all the different conventions and everything that I go to. I'm not in this to make money. I'm in this to make a change. I'm in this to make a permanent change to make sure that nobody's going to have to go through this fight because it is not fun. And And, and again, all the women are doing this. I will say all the women who are staying in this crazy business are doing it to be the people they needed. I mean, it's almost universal, which is what the thing that kind of feels hopeful is that there are a lot of us out there doing this and it's always the same old voices that are coming in and who's whispering in the ears of the politicians and is it just money? But again, if we don't focus on the health and wellness, focus like the Dr. Knox's, they talk about the cannabis health equity movement. This is about health. Mm-hmm. This is about health and equity. That's, you know, social equity. I mean, together, people, so. people forget that equity just isn't about being a person of color or being in jail. It's also, I mean, a lot of people that have been disadvantaged are, are the disabled and the sick. I mean, we've had this plant kept from us for a hundred years. Maybe my mother wouldn't have died if we had had the option to give her the cannabis for her cancer instead of that, that chemo that destroyed her body. I mean, this, this is the kind of shit that keeps, sorry, excuse my language. Yeah, yeah. This is the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night. Like I, I don't want anybody else to have to, to deal with this. I want to make it I want to make it right and, and I know it's I don't know maybe it's the Jew in me that I want to fix the world tikkun olam and all that oh, yes. but it's just it's always been my calling is to try to to see what needed to be fixed go in there and fix it exactly it's action again if negativity is infectious positivity is infectious too we can only do what we can with what we have we're all here doing our thing and that's part of our can of Junus. Oh, and your holistic health solution. So tell me, what are you guys doing together? Are you trying to do a new product line? What's going on with that? So yes, the there will be a bunch of announcements coming out in the next few weeks, okay. uh, <laughs> month or so. Uh, we had to push our, our launch for some issues, but nothing nothing big, just some technical stuff. And 420, I mean, honestly, uh, I thought we, we thought about having a 420 launch, but you know, maybe it's better to have it on its own day. So I like the Mother's Day. I just have a month during the whole month of May for Mother's Day and my birthday. So yeah, Julie, Julie and you can like reconnect with me. We should like talk about it. <laughs> All right. So that's that. And then Canada, you, you have another org, you're part of another group for connecting. I, 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 I want to start another group. So I want to kind of I, my my thing was always I wanted to teach grandma how to dab. I wanted to go, <laughs> <laughs> I want to go like and do like the old Tupperware parties. Yes. And I know there was someone out here for a while that started doing it, but they, they stopped. But I, I would like to co- go out and have a teaching moment that not only that are we're teaching them what campus is how to consume it what to consume and with what mm-hmm. I want to show them like these are my favorites buy them yep. don't buy them I don't you know I'm not making any money I'm, I'm here to I'm here to teach you but I it could be something that could be one of those pyramid things where they have like a catalog of products it's it's something that maybe we might look into under can of juice but I would definitely like I mean I would love to be able to have a rabbi cannabis web wedding outside that would be wonderful I did um, again it's, it's a personal connections that are changing people's hearts and minds and I do think that older people we talk about this a lot going into elderly homes or nursing homes or assisted living I used to go when I visited my mother I would always bring little samples of cream salves are a really good gateway drug mm-hmm. <laughs> they <laughs> would take them they would put it in their hands and feel better so again the personal connection talking to somebody that you can see and trust and feel connected to I think this is a really powerful way once we heal ourselves we can heal the world we keep saying this 
I mean, I find I, I wanted to find a way to break the stigma to make it easier for my kid to live in the world with what she's going to have to deal with and as being a cannabis patient for the rest of her life. And I, I'm Jewish, so I want to go and try to teach my community what what cannabis really is and how much we have been lied to. And I want to show them like, look, it's helped me. Maybe it can help you. Here's a nice little cream. It helps your elbow. It's, I, I'm not even necessarily going there to sell them any product. It's, it's more about the networking and the community and wanting to teach and pay it forward. And the health, it is again, it's health equity. We don't have to feel bad. Like there's a way to feel healthy. And this is one of those options. Okay. Tell me one more thing. So Boston Leaf. Just tell me a little bit about Boston Leaf, how you got connected and what's going on with it now. So Boston Leaf was basically what I created to be my voice in the industry because I felt like everybody had like the, I'm, I'm part of this group and this group and this group. And, okay. So uh, I have my group as well. So I just, I, I wanted something that it, originally I wanted to make it to be a farm to table kind of store slash restaurant retreat but I I saw that it just it's not going to happen with the laws and I really would rather spend my time trying to fix something than kind of beating my head against the wall for something that wasn't going to work out I saw the laws and when when we made that sharp turn into social equity from talking social consumption clubs where I don't know why we had to make that term that turn that could have been all together but right. for some reason that's the way the legislation went and that it was an either or conversation not a both I guess they only wanted to tackle one difficult item at a time and it's all built I'd like them to get back though, to medical yeah <laughs> I'd like to I mean, get back to medical equity the, the consumption thing is issue it's interesting there aren't I mean there's a private club for social consumption, but they're moving forward with those, right? And are they going to be able to have them in I mean, different towns? I mean, there there hasn't been. I mean, there's there's one that's legally open, but I mean, I I I don't know what's going to happen. I know a lot of it's going to be left for the social equity, and I know there's going to be limits on who's allowed in and when and how. And I, I, all, right now, they're trying to work all of that out because there's a a very big technical fix that needs to happen because all this time, I forget if it's the the te- one 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 part of the of the law says you have to opt in, and the other part says you have to opt out, and it's oh. just that stupid. Okay. <laughs> that one of it is saying you must opt in and one of them say, and so it doesn't allow anybody to have it to open basically and so well, right now that's what they're trying to fix with the social equity bill as well there's some language to, to fix that opt-in opt-out part so we can actually have some social consumption stores I thought we were going to be the first I I was so upset when I saw everybody else opening and we're just sitting and waiting and I really thought like by 2018 we were going to have something but I know words are important, people, apparently. So yeah, that's the important. That's why you should draft legislation and policy work or else you get a lot of attorneys and you start suing and stuff and nothing makes sense. So um. you got to be also really careful who you're working with because you never know who's going to try to put one of those little loop in, loopholes in on purpose to be back so that they can try to control everything and be the puppeteer from above where they know. think. Well, we're trying to control ourselves. All right. So we are going to be back <laughs> with my friend. We have to take a break to thank today's sponsor and talk to Tia. So we'll be back. Michelle Herman, after we thank our sponsor, Northern Specialty Health Provisioning Center. Gratitude, hope, and action are the words that best describe the empathic business model of Northern Specialty Health Provisioning Center, NSH, in Michigan. Northern Specialty Health Empathic Mism- 
business model is the foundation on which their reputation as helpers has been built. They value being locally sourced and locally connected and know they've been changing hearts and minds since 2013. In addition to being the mom and pop cannabis shop that other dispensaries should aspire to be like, owners Penny and Ryan Milkey and their employees strongly support their local community as well as the greater cannabis community. A shining example is how they use their tip jar to help their local community. Since 2021, the NSH community tips have contributed funds to a wide range of organizations, as well as two local families who recently lost their homes to a fire. If you are in the Upper Peninsula region, please check them out. Northern Specialty Health Provisioning Center in Houghton, Michigan. All right, so we're doing something a little different today for the Canamom Show. Tia Moskalenko. She is the communications manager at Ask Growers. We had spoken to her several months ago, but she's today or here today because she's at home in Ukraine, actually still there. So we just want to check in with her, see what's going on, what she's been experiencing this past six weeks. It's been a while, four weeks. I've lost track. All right. I'm just going to introduce her. So Tia, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hi, Joyce. Nice to speak to you during the last time, and it's nice to hear you again. How are you doing? Good. So can you just tell my listeners, where are you in the country, and what what have you actually been seeing and experiencing these past couple of months? Yeah, I actually came back to my hometown just a couple of days ago. Prior to that, during the, I guess, one and a half days, the first days of the war, I was in the capital of Ukraine in Kiev. And that was a really horrible experience because uh, when you wake up at 7 a.m. in the morning, I guess, and you do not realize why your boyfriend is in such a shock and just trying to put all the things together, like in the backpack. And so you actually did. So did you understand what was happening when you woke up? Did you know that something dramatic had happened? Were you prepared for it? Did you have any thoughts of actually having to leave? Not me uh, personally, because I woke up and I heard maybe just a little of the noise uh, somewhere outside on the streets. And I didn't actually realize what's going on. And uh, it was lights everywhere in the apartment. And I was like, hey, what are you doing? Are you going for swimming? And he's like, are you kidding me? It's actually the war outside. So the war has begun. And I guess I didn't realize it for not just for a few couple of days, but at some point I just don't want to believe it even right now because such horrible things are happening here. And right now, like I said, I'm in my hometown and I came back. So you came back. So just I'm trying to get, so you were in Kiev. So did you leave or did you go somewhere and then come Uh, back? Yeah. On the second day of the war, we left Kiev and uh, went to his parents. It was Vinitsa region. So it's more like on the west side of Ukraine. And we've been there for months, for a bit more than a month. Then I came back to Kiev because of the health issues. And I was there alone for three weeks. And then I decided to see my parents because I didn't see them for maybe six months or even more. And I was really worried because I was just speaking over the phone with them for maybe three times or even more during a day. And I just wanted to see them, to hug them and uh, to talk to them, what 
they actually have experienced. And when I came back on Saturday, like a couple of days ago, I spent half of the day with them. And then on Sunday, I wanted to see my friend who's, who's actually living in here in Klobano. It's Poltava region. And it's actually in the center of Ukraine. Yeah, I was going to ask, I was going to ask where you are. And have, can you see fighting? Do you hear things? What are you hearing while you, where you are in your parents' hometown? Yeah, I just wanted to say about yeah. that because we were speaking with my friend on Sunday and uh, I thought that was that the sound was really like someone just uh, slammed the door and I didn't even, even pay attention to that. And she's like, okay, just, uh, sh- just, can you hear that? And I was like, what exactly? And uh, that was Easter actually. Yeah, that was Easter on Sunday. And during our talk, we heard like seven bombs where he didn't been near town like it's it was like 35 kilometers away from us and when you just sit on the nature it's it was near her house and we couldn't realize that it's actually happening and we could actually hear that with our own ears because in the end of the day you just open up your laptop and you just try to read all the news what's going on in every corner of ukraine and when i was coming back home I was a little bit shocked uh, and you were frustrated all day long and uh, I don't even I don't even know how to express all the feelings and what you have heard what you have seen because I actually thought that after the second world world war all the people around the world have learned their lessons and uh, Mm -hmm. it shouldn't actually happen at all in the civilized in civilized world of course so that was, uh, and it, it's actually, of course, all the, all these worries, all these situations with this war reflects all your life, including your workflow and including every everything, I think. It's not anymore like it was before. So you were do you just- feel, Tia, Tia, do you think that, do you feel like I keep hearing different reports on CNN? That's where I hear, see people actually, that Kiev is starting to come back. I feel, or people are starting to it's starting to normalize I guess maybe humans can get used to anything so what what does it feel like to you could you are you driving around are you in a car or how do you actually get around your town I just use the bus like five hours away from my hometown to Kiev okay so I use the bus and I would say that it was pretty quickly despite the fact that every I guess 30 or 40 kilometers, they're military guys and they check all the passports and they are trying to see and realize if you're actually from Ukraine and you're not going to do any evil and violent things in here. So, but yeah, that was a completely different track to my hometown at this time because it's, it's really hard to explain this to people who didn't hear all the sounds, didn't see how the cities actually look like. So we have a couple of cities like Mariupol and Chernihiv. They are actually destroyed. So I have no idea when exactly people can live there because there is nothing in there right now. And this is is really sad and frustrating for me. So I think think that kind of news is coming through. Do you know people in Russia? You're pretty cosmopolitan. Do you know any Russians who may or may not Uh, believe going on back to my youth yeah i had a couple of i wouldn't say that friends but acquaintances but we didn't we didn't keep in touch for quite a long time so i'm not actually speaking with anyone in russia but here i just wanted to say that i'm trying to believe in that that not all of the russians are that crazy as all these military guys including putin because how come you're 
killing civilians, you're destroying towns, you're raping pregnant women and children. This is so insane that I, I'm still trying to realize all these things and we will never forgive this and I think the whole world will never forgive this because I think if they do this to us and I hope that they will never conquer us but if they could I think that could happen to other European countries as well so so Tia uh, did your family do are your family's roots in Ukraine were they there during the Soviet era uh, yes my mom and my dad and my uncle actually so yeah they did but no one actually wanted to get back to those times because you're standing in like long queues to get, I don't know, a piece of bread or... That, that does seem like to be the motivation that people have lived through this authoritarian and fascism already. I'm a Jewish American. Michelle's a Jewish American. Our whole journey is exodus. We're always being kicked out of places. So we all have East European roots of this idea. And I always wondered what it had to happen to leave. I mean, I feel so rooted here. So the idea that you're still there and you're staying there through whatever is going on, you have deep roots there and you have hope. I mean, that's, yeah. Who who but us will stay here and at least in the, maybe I will not get a gun and go to the battlefield and shoot the guys, but at least with everything that we have right now with the internet, with the information, we can help our people in our country to overcome this and to get all the people who are actually hesitating what's going on, because there are a lot of disinformation from the Russian side, and we just want to keep everything in a more truthful way way. and uh, we want the whole world to know what's going on here because everything that people say like our kind of neighbors from the east side on the east side of our border they just try to maybe impress and tell all the people in Russia that it's supposed to happen because we are such a bad guys we're Nazi people but eventually we all see who are Nazi people yeah, that disinformation, it's very, it's, it's this idea, it's what you're fed and what you believe. And it's kind of, kind of always comes back to cannabis. Yeah. These stories that we are fed, these things that we are fed continually, continually, continually without an, an alternate, alternate narrative. This is how they become true. So you're staying there and you're sharing your truth and you're telling people what's going on and you're standing up for what you want is freedom that you don't want to be part of this dictatorship. Well, <laughs> yeah. And speaking of uh, cannabis, uh, when I got back after more than a month staying in the Vinitsa region, I came back to Kiev and I was alone. So I was like, okay, I just need to relax because I was really stressed out. There were a lot of people in one uh, house, like 11 people, and we had only four or five rooms for that. I came back to Kiev and the first thing I guess I was thinking of, I need to have a joint. And (laughs) And, uh, you know, that was pretty much of a good idea before I heard the sirens. But then I, you just realized that you, sh- you just need to calm down and not to be really, as one of my friends, she's really emotional. And she's like, oh, my God, we're going to die all. So I'm just trying to keep myself uh, calm. Off all this and trying to be calm and uh trying so to actually can i ask you a question about cannabis in ukraine is it legal what's the status of cannabis i thought i, I think that if the war if we didn't have a war that it would be really faster to legalize the medical cannabis i'm not sure how how fast that could be with the recreational one but i think our president had an idea that we should actually realize the medical cannabis because it really helps and he's a really smart person and i think that during the first time there were people who actually were against supporting this project but eventually i think after everything that's going on i think we will all need to 
be able to buy the medical one at least. So, and and I will say, you're an agricultural country. I mean, this has been a big talk about the breadbasket and how we're going to be having food shortages because farmers aren't planting. But cannabis, hemp, this is a good restorative. We can start growing it to restore these communities, maybe that they've destroyed, take some of the toxins out. Again, it can heal. Mm-hmm. It's a useful plant. It can help you stay calm during a war. So Tia, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. So if my listeners want to reach out to you, connect with you, I know you're through Ask Growers, but is there another way to reach you or to, something you'd want to share with them right now? Yeah, we're actually um, working on the advertisement deck. So I am personally doing all the custom advertising decks for every brand with who actually produces uh, buds. So even today, I've sent, I guess, a couple of uh, emails to start cooperation with. We have uh, a few options. So you can uh, have a banner on the strain page so people can go, you know, like use the discount and go directly to your strain on your website, or you just can go to the brand page of the, of the particular brand who we can advertise on our Asgore's website. And always working, always working, even in the midst <laughs> of trauma. Thank you, Tia. This is thank you again for joining us and for sharing your story. And again, just regular people working in Ukraine, living through this, still doing their jobs, obviously, and um, trying to stay calm. Trying our best, trying our best. Everything will be okay. I truly believe in that. All right. Thank you for sharing again, <laughs> Tia. All right. We're going to be back, back with our friend Michelle. Let's see, Michelle. Massachusetts. What are you thinking? Massachusetts, what's happening in the future? What do you think are going to be the big things this year? I think they're going to fix the social equity bill. I think we're going to see some consumption lounges coming online. I know we're starting to see some delivery operators start to work, and I think we're going to see more and more of that. I really hope that we can see more craft growers come up. Craft growers, yeah. Yes, get more of those, uh, if if you want to call them legacy, OG, whatever you want to use, whatever terminology, nomenclature is your flavor of the day. Honestly, people that have been involved in this plant for the love of this plant for the past 40, 50 years should be allowed into this industry if that is what they want at any capacity that they want, if that's an owner, a worker. I mean, I keep thinking it's been so great for Massachusetts because it's all in state. You can't know interstate commerce. So it's been bringing back communities in parts of our state that we didn't really know what we're going to do with them. And I just, I keep wondering what's going to happen when it's finally legal interstate commerce. I mean, it's going to happen. And when it does, if we don't have a good foothold into this industry, that we have our own little niche market, which will evolve around tourism. I mean, oh, I about to say that. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to, I mean, who that, who doesn't want to have like the Salem witches brew or something? thing like that during Halloween. I mean, that's that's why social consumption to have these kinds of other use other than just buying retails, but being able to consume on site is so important. There are so many people that they're 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 in hotels, they're in Airbnbs, and they don't want to be consuming on the street. They don't want to be consuming and get in trouble in the place that they're renting. Well, yeah, they I, went to, go I went somewhere. To, I went to we were in Vegas. I was in Reno with my husband and you know like I'm standing on like in front of the building with like the homeless people smoking my joint. I'm like, this is not very comfortable. (laughs) I mean, Colorado is straight up scary. I was like hiding in the alleys. Where do I go? I had all this product because I had a medical card and they reciprocate over there. So it's wonderful. But where, where do I do it at? 
And, and again, it should be like a great Avon party, hanging out with your friends. We're doing the tea party. Well, it would have been last week by the time this airs. And it's a community experience. This is part of it is meeting other people who want to consume this way because you don't always want to drink. I don't drink. I, if I drink, I throw up. Honestly, I, <laughs> I had way too much time. University of Florida in the 90s partying. I was a good old sorority girl and you know, went to all my, uh, went to all the parties that there were. And I went, to, I was in Thailand and partied there. And in Israel, they do not know how to pour. They do not use ice. So you, <laughs> you lose any tolerance that you had, but at, at you're very, you're point, very international. That should be like, a, like, where's the weirdest places people have consumed? <laughs> What's actually, you, you're in some countries that are actually illegal and Many, yes. Allegedly. Yes. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. When your daughter's old enough to listen. Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> All right. We actually are running up on time. So are you speaking at any events? Is there anything coming up this summer or in the fall that you're actually going to be presenting at? Anything that's going on that way? I don't know. We'll see. All right. <laughs> All right. Michelle. And um, just parting words, if I have can oh. of parents who are interested in connecting with you. Oh, yeah. Yes. That is something that I wanted to put out there. So we are working on both uh, a bill for pediatric compassionate care and senior use. And if anybody can come with their personal stories, we need to get these personal stories to the legislators. So please contact me through Boston Leave, contact me through Holistic, Holistic Hemp Solutions. We, we need to get this bill in. It will be in for next year, for next term. And it is something that they are very interested in hearing about, but they so need those is- personal stories. So this is uh, for therapeutic use for children and seniors. Is that what? Children, seniors, and and compassionate care people who, so we want to create a compassionate care fund, basically something that has, should have been done originally that wasn't done, was taken out of the law. We want to be, people who can't afford medicine who are chronic patients should be like cancer, should be able to have free meds at this point. It's ridiculous that they don't. Exactly. And I mean, they're trying to get um, workers comp to pay for this. So why shouldn't that? goodness insurance insurance all of it yeah all right this is the woman who's working on this in massachusetts if you're interested and you want to connect best way to reach you michelle find me on find me on linkedin that's probably the best and instagram or facebook and she's always on clubhouse check her out on clubhouse with kandisha coffee all right i'm all over (laughs) all over thank you my friend okay another show people so for my guest and my cannabro david jazz and our cannabom show team i want to thank you for taking the time to listen to The Cannon Mom Show, where we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on the emerging cannabis industry by sharing and preserving their stories of love, kindness, wisdom, and hope. Thank you for following and sharing the inspiring stories of the women building this new industry so together we can crush the stigma around cannabis and caregivers. I'm your host, Joyce Gerber. This is The Cannon Mom Show, and we are a production of Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey friends, I'm Brandon And I'm Saba. And we are your host of the Cannabis Hangout Podcast, an educational platform to connect with the cannabis community and share personal stories while breaking the stigma of marijuana. Join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. to gain valuable insight with different perspectives from industry leaders, growers, and medical marijuana patients. This is a place to learn so much from different angles in the cannabis industry. So tune in while we break it all down.